on this episode of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ashley Dietz, the president and CEO of the Florida Philanthropic Network, where Ashley has employed the consulting model to build out her capacity for her organization. So join me now and welcome to Ashley. Hey everybody, this is Michael Corley. Just wanted to let you know, we are now sending out a weekly, very brief newsletter tips, tricks, pointers to nonprofit executives. That includes both board members and CEOs, executive directors. If you're interested in receiving this, please go to thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter and you can sign up. Once again, that's thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter. Well, I'm joined today by Ashley Dietz, the president and CEO of Florida Philanthropic Network. Ashley, welcome to the I-501C, the podcast for nonprofit board members. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for, for having me. I listened to a number of episodes of this podcast with many of my mentors in uh, the nonprofit space, so it is an honor for me to be here today. So I've been in philanthropy for about 15 years, and I've been running FPN now for two and a half years. And in the best way possible, it kind of feels like 10 years. And, and really this job for me is kind of my dream job. I get to hang out with funders um, across the state of Florida, as well as some national funders too, who really want to build philanthropy for, for a better Florida. I was a funder for 13 years prior to joining uh, FPN. And so it's, it's really an honor for me to get to run an organization that gets to convene and partner and advocate on behalf of philanthropy and the sector here in our state. So tell uh, you said you've been in the, the sector for about 13 years prior to coming to FPN. Can you just tell us a little bit about your your background for those out there who may say, hey, I want to be a president and CEO someday of a funder group? <laughs> sure. And I will tell you, I don't know if I ever dreamed of being a president and CEO, too. So we can talk about that a little bit later. But but for me, I philanthropy really kind of fell into my lap. I really thought that I was going to be a senator or an attorney or in a totally different kind of field. And so I was getting my master's at the university of New South Wales and Sydney, Australia in public policy. And I was doing my capstone pro project at the city of Sydney, local government. And then I got a part-time gig two days a week in their grants department. And that's how I fell into philanthropy. So I think I would have been in a totally different area if I had not you know, been fortunate enough to have that part-time gig just to make some extra cash while I was in grad school. And so then from there, I ended up being with that department for six years before moving to Tampa where I live now. And then I worked for United Way Suncoast here in Tampa, managing all their community investments. So I, I have local government experience and then United Way funder experience coming into this role. So I, I don't come to this role thinking like I'm managing an association because I haven't had that experience. I really come to FPN thinking, well, when I was a funder, what would I want? And that's kind of how I view the way we do things strategically is how can we always best serve members and what do, what do funders really want? So you became president and CEO during the height of the pandemic. And you've, it's a member organization, so you've got to get out and meet people. Talk, can you talk a little bit about that transition and how did you approach it? Well, first of all, I would like to give a condolences or shout outs to all of those that were hired during the pandemic because doing five or six Zoom calls when you're trying to get a role is, is very awkward. And I remember the first time that I ever saw uh, my past board chair, Danette Gindling, and it was about a year into my role. I said, I hope this is what you wanted because it's a year in. It was the first time we were ever meeting. Uh, but yeah, it was it was daunting for sure. But I'm not afraid of, of a risk or a challenge. And I, I knew of FPN because United Way Suncoast, we were members of FPN. So I was familiar with what FPN did. And what really drew me to the role was just what an opportunity. You know, the world completely changed in 2020 after all that we went through 
and just kind of reimagining what a membership organization can really can really be. So the first year was actually a godsend that we were able to be at home working because I got to wrap my arms around the organization, really understand the operations of FPN. Um, I met every CEO of every organization that was currently a member via Zoom. And that was really critically important too, to have that kind of FaceTime. I knew a lot of their staff because I had met them through my work at United Way, but hadn't necessarily met all of the leaders. So that was really important at the beginning. And I think before you can really grow or change an organization, you really have to know who you are. So in that first year, we did our strategic plan for the next three years. That was really important to kind of really put our mark, uh, my team and myself, on where we wanted to go um, in consultation with our board and with our members. And so once the plan was done and things started to open back up, we hit the ground running. We had done all that groundwork. I had been here for a year at that point in time. And so actually meeting people was the easy part because I already knew who we were at that point in time and can really speak confidently about where we were going. So when you were doing that listening tour, I guess we call it a listening tour, even if it's via Zoom, right? Uh, in this day and age. So were there things that you uncovered that you learned about the organization that you knew you had to address, you knew had to be embedded into the strategic plan? Well, the number one thing I heard from leaders across the state that they really wanted to see in FPN is they really wanted an umbrella organization who could represent them on the policy and advocacy front in Tallahassee. That was really, really important. Every foundation in our state is at a really different level in their policy and advocacy journey. It could be quite daunting. And so for FPN, we now have a public policy agenda and we haven't had one in you know four or five years. And I really listened to the leaders of our membership to say, well, we can do that for you. We can provide you know, not only that kind of umbrella support as an organization that can speak on your behalf or on behalf of the sector here in the state of Florida, but then I had a choice to make last year, which was, do I hire a staff person or do we hire a lobbyist? And we hired a lobby firm. And that was one of the best decisions and the best return for membership that we could ever do. So that listening tour was actually really integral in how we kind of shifted our approach to policy and advocacy. And now it's one of our five pillars for our strategy for the next three years. So as you you went through the strategic planning process, I I, I kind of know the answer to this because you and I discussed it. You knew you had to add some type of human resources, and that, that's really what led into this discussion. I, I found the topic very interesting. You said, "Hey, we we have to use a lot of consultants, and we're we're scaling that way." Can you talk a little bit about that model and help us dive into that and understand you know the pros, the cons, the challenges, and and how you came to that conclusion? Absolutely. So. FPN as an organization, we are statewide, but we're a little bit different. You know, we're a small but mighty team, and we have to have quite a broad reach in the work that we do. But a lot of what we're doing is convening and being nimble and working with strategic partners. So I knew I needed more support. That was a given for sure. But I didn't want to actually pigeonhole, or I didn't really actually know when I first started too, what that would look like for FPN. So in that first year when we're doing the strategic plan and we're kind of figuring out where we want to go for the next three years, there were specific buckets that kept popping up where I knew that we needed some support. And I think for us as a smaller organization to make sure that we could be nimble and flexible and innovative, it made a lot of sense for us to actually hire consultants rather than hiring full-time staff because it allowed us to, well, number one, I'm not a micromanager and anyone that knows me knows I will talk about this all day long, but um, for me, I knew we could definitely you know, give those consultants autonomy and full trust to do the work. Most of our consultants are pretty project specific or initiative specific as well. And then, you know, after a year, because I don't sign more than a year contract with our consultants, if we want to pivot in a different direction or if the 
if my budget looks different from year to year, then I'm able to say thank you so much and maybe not, you know, resign that contract for the next year or continue on, you know, with that individual. So we, I think we now have about 10 consultants that work with FPN um, in different capacities. We started off maybe three or four in my first year and we've grown to about 10. Some uh, work, you know, with us more than others, depending on, you know, the different area that we need support at that any given time. But it really has allowed us to be really, really flexible and nimble in our work. And I got to give a shout out to the Patterson Foundation because they really were the inspiration behind this kind of concept around utilizing consultants and their expertise. And I think membership is really happy too, because we still are providing, you know, robust uh, programming information, resources, and tools, but we are allowed to be flexible in the way that we deliver that and also utilize different voices and different expertise across, across the state by hiring diverse consultants. And how do you find those consultants that you hire? Honestly, a lot of it's word of mouth. You know, I'm very fortunate that of our 110 now members that we have foundations across the state, a lot of them are already utilizing great consultants. So some of it's word of mouth. We have put out RFP processes too, to make sure that we are equitable in hiring. It's not really hiring and uh, contracting with our, with our consultants, but a lot of it is through word of mouth. And so if you are a consultant, this is another conversation for another day, please reach out to me because we've had a number of consultants that we've utilized recently who have recently left their job to do full-time consulting as their, as their new profession. So being a small business owner, entrepreneur in that way can be kind of scary, but I think there's definitely a need for it. Beyond FPN, I'm seeing this kind of model throughout the state that foundations are utilizing to hire consultants for specific work. Well, the the gig economy that's been around for quite some time. And I think, uh, with, with COVID happening and people wanting to work remotely, it just opened up a whole new opportunity for, for individuals. But there's some challenges with the consulting model. I'd, can you talk a little bit, how do you manage those consultants? You have 10. How do you ensure everybody's on the same page? How do you create a team and teamwork? So I'm very fortunate because Gila Ferguson, she's been with FPN now for 15 years. So she actually really is the heart and soul of what we do. And, and she really is, you know, my my kind of thought leader in the work that we do, we work very, very closely together and very well together. But what I do with consultants is that I do have standing meetings with most of them. So I do meet with them individually, but all, all you know, 10 of those consultants don't actually really cross over with each other uh, that often. Some of them do, but some of them don't. And I really wanna make sure, well, one for legal reasons and just for the, my style of management that we give them full autonomy. So they know the scope of the work they have to do, we have those initial conversations and then I let them run with it. And then we can meet up and tweak, but really I want consultants to feel full ownership of, of what they're being contracted to do. So we have standing meetings and then we do make sure that most of our consultants do come to our annual meeting, which we just had in February. So they come and meet together in that way. And a lot of the consultants that we do work with either previously worked for foundations or already integrated in the foundation landscape and are also consultants for those foundations too. So uh, in some ways, like we're all kind of crossing over and co-mingling anyway, uh, but that, that can be the real challenge. I think if, if you are a, a leader and your style is high touch and you want to meet once a week or you want to meet in person, this model might not be for you, you know, but for someone like me who likes more flexibility and can kind of let folks do their jobs and come back and meet in a more, you know, ad hoc kind of a way is a perfect setup for me. I would imagine and for for that model to be highly effective, you've got to be very 
prescriptive in the outcomes that you want with the consultants. If you give them that latitude, it's going to be very much, this is what we want to achieve. You go figure out how to achieve it. And then you've got to create these feedback mechanisms, those loops, so that you understand what's going on throughout the process. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that and how you ensure that happens? So there's there's two ways that we do that. One way we're very, very lucky in that some of our consultants are actually grant funded through some of our initiatives that we're partnering with other foundations to do that work. So those deliverables and that scope of work has been set out from the get-go because certain funders have expectations of what those products will look like. So we it's very easy transition once we receive those grant funds to say, you know, hey, consultant A, here's what we're doing, you know, look at the scope of work, talk about the deliverables, and then kind of set the plan from there. Some of our other consultants, again, they're really been involved in the planning process with me. So uh, based on their level of expertise or their skill set, we'll bring them on board. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Gina Gallo for, for a second. She's our strategy consultant here at FPN, and she has a lot of work in that strategic space. So I can bring her on. We can plan it together, plan her cadence, plan what I need together, and then kind of work from there. So it's kind of, it's kind of two ways. So we want to make sure you're part of that planning process. And so you have that buy-in too as a consultant. Um, but like I said before, then I kind of let you go and go on your way. But the great thing about uh, a contract, as you know, Michael, is that if in a year, if the deliverables aren't met, if we are having some, maybe some communication issues or maybe the project has changed, we can say, thank you very much. And we can pivot to another direction. I luckily haven't had to do that yet. We have hired incredible people. So we haven't really had an issue around that just yet. Um, but again, it does provide, once we do that feedback loop, you know, every year about how things are going, you know, we have the opportunity to change directions. You, you talked about a few things. I think it's important for the audience who are considering using a consulting model that there are legalities around it, right? The consultants have to be qualify as independent contractors, pay their taxes. So there, there is that notion to it. Uh, and there are also that the finite, the very strategic aspect of it, which is, hey, if things don't work out, you know, we're going to part ways amicably and you've got other clients you can work with. So are there other strategic item considerations for people who may want to go down this model? I think you have to be really excellent at time management because as a consultant, you know, you sign up for a certain number of hours, you're going to work on a project, let's say with FPN, but I'm then not checking your time on that. And you're not, you know, bound by the nine to five. That's where you, the legalities come into from an HR perspective. So we have to be very, very clear about that up front with contractors. But if you have multiple clients and everyone's working a little bit differently, you have to be prepared to manage your time in a different way because you are your own boss as a contractor, as a consultant, right? So I think you have to have excellent time management, how you prioritize projects, what that communication style looks like for you and whoever is actually hiring you uh, to do specific projects or work. So I think that time management part is really, really important. And I think the power of saying no. As a consultant, you can't say yes to everything because then you're going to be overwhelmed. And you probably, from the consultants I've worked with who have been really excellent, they may have less work, but do everything really excellently than saying yes to everybody and then doing everything at about 80%. So that's, that's probably the, probably the hardest shift really is how do you manage your time and know when to say no. Mm. Okay. Yeah. To say no. Yeah. That, that's wise advice to consultants out there. And, and so the reporting structure, do all those consultants feed re, report into you and I'm doing quotes, but report into you or to Gila, do you split that? How do you manage that aspect of it? It's a, 
pretty loose process. I'm, I would say I manage most of the relations with the consultants for sure, but those who've been with FPN know Bill Hoffman. He's been our education consultant for a number of years and Gila works with him all the time, independent of me. And he'll actually go and talk and work with funders independent of me because we've built that trust and rapport. So, you know, I don't even really like to call it reporting to me. It's more so they're working alongside in partnership with FPN to get the job done. So they can talk to any of our funders and Gila or myself, and that's that's no problem at all. Well, I think that says a lot about you as a leader, your confidence in allowing the consultants to do that, but also in engaging the right consultants so that you can have the confidence to allow them to speak on behalf of FPN because everybody does not have, have that type of experience with, with consultants. Are, are, are there any downsides to the consulting model? For, for my organization, I think it's the perfect model for where we are right now. I think as we continue to grow and as things shift, there may be an opportunity for another full-time person or two. But I think just given where we are, we're in hyper growth mode. And you know, we're ever changing with the fabric of what's happening in philanthropy and in the state of Florida right now. So it's I'm not looking to hire any full-time staff at the moment. Uh, but I think it just really depends on your business model and what you're trying to achieve at your organization. I think consultants are really great for point in time efforts too, right? A lot of the strategic things that we're working on are two to three year projects or three to four year projects. So they are time bound, you know, and more recently we just hired a communications consultant. So we're trying that out instead of having a full-time comms person. We have a, a consultant kind of helping us with that work around social media, our newsletters and kind of the PR work that we plan to do in the upcoming year. So I will keep you posted on how that goes because that's a new hire for us recently. And so we'll see how that goes with, with that team here in Tampa Bay. But, but yeah, I think it's got to be right size for your organization and really understanding your business model to make sure that's a right fit for you. So, so this uh, consultant you just hired as an example, how do, especially communications, Marcom, that's really interesting because they've got to get up to speed pretty quickly and understand how to speak in your voice and understand the organization. How do you onboard a consultant like that? Is it any different than onboarding an employee? So I think with the comms one, it is a little bit different. I'm, I'm glad you're asking the question. And I'll give a shout out to Bailey Floyd and Bayes Creative, who is our consultant team uh, who just started with us probably three months, really focusing on the entire communication strategy for FPN. I've worked with Bailey over the past two years. She had done some minimal PR work for us over the last two years, making sure some of our initiatives got out into the press and that we were telling the great stories of our members and what FPN does. But as we continue to grow, that need for consistent communication has been really evident. But we don't really need a full-time person. We're not a national organization. Our, our reach is statewide, but it's it's very specific and niche really to our foundations, right? And to the philanthropic and nonprofit sector. So we're trying it out. Uh, their team will manage all of our social media work, our newsletters, uh, and and she is, I think she's is it Gen Z. I don't know what the one is below millennial before. I, I never know what that is, but she is way more in tune than I am, even though I have a communications degree. And I must say now, because Michael told me to say this, I did go to University of Tennessee for All a right. year before I transferred. So go balls. Go balls. Go balls. But I was a communications major, and that's my degree is in comm. So I still am not nearly as savvy as you know Bailey is and her team. And I don't have the capacity given my role to really focus on that. So we're trying we're trying it out and see we'll see if it's successful. I'll make sure to keep you posted and we're gonna for sure track the data and the metrics too on you know click rates and 
you know, opens all those things that she's really good at uh, over there at Bates Creative, but we'll see. It's a new one for us. But in terms of the real question you asked about onboarding, it does feel a little bit different because they're not part of the day-to-day operations of FPN. They really just need to focus on the, what do we do? What are the good stories that are coming up and what are our members doing so we can elevate and highlight the work of, of membership? So it's a little bit different than I think onboarding a staff person. Yeah, you know, it sounds like with them, you may even have a little bit more closer of a working relationship, at least initially, again, to to capture your voice and to, uh, to understand uh, talking points, things along those lines. That's right, but, yeah. So, so when you decided on this consulting model and you approached, I assume, uh, your board chair, I assume Johnette at the time, who was guest number two on this podcast, what, what was the board's response and how do the consultants interact with the board if they do? So I think the initial response from the board was, I think, one of relief because they, everyone on our board, they're all senior, you know, executives at foundations across the state, and they understand the challenges in people managing. It's it's a lot of effort to manage big teams. Um, I've been there before, and it, it's very rewarding, but it does take up a lot of your time as a leader to to manage people. So I think the consultant model is also good because, again, we are a small but mighty team. I don't have a ton of capacity um, at this point in time. And so it it does allow me some more flexibility and it does keep our overhead down. You know, when you have consultants on on your budget, it's, you don't have to worry about the benefits and those extra things that are really critically important that you want to offer your staff, right? If they're on board, but we're, you know, a continued, continually changing and evolving organization. So it just makes more sense right now where we are to have consultants. They don't really interact with the board that much because they're not staff members, right? So they know who they are and they might see them at a education, you know, funders meeting or our health funders meeting, but they're not really, you know, working alongside the board. We don't have our consultants, you know, come and present to the board. That's that's not really a, a function that I would feel comfortable with given that they're not staff. Yeah, I think I think that's fair, but it sounds like the agility right now for y'all is a strategic competency that you that the consultants allow you to maintain, allow you to have for all the reasons you said, and, and which I think are absolutely correct. Will there be a time that you will add staff, and what 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 would create the dynamics for that need? It's such a good question, and I think it's I think it's the big question that we don't know what we don't know yet, because I've only been here for two and a half years. We've grown 27% in two years in membership, which is pretty, it's a lot in two years' time. And we are still trying to build trust with our members too in this new direction. So I think I would really want to make sure we continue to build our reserves and that we're really financially strong, which we are, which is great to report to our members and also just for us being a healthy nonprofit. So I'm, I'm happy about that. But I think we would really need it to be strategic if we were going to hire another full-time person and what that would look like. Um, uh, for FPN. I wish we could clone like multiple of Gila and I's to go across the state because the state is big. I mean, I will tell you as a barrier to this work here at FPN is that our members want more in-person meetings and they want them regionally. And that is a struggle for sure. So if I am looking into the future and thinking about FPN as we continue to grow and evolve, it may be to have another uh, person of similar talents to someone like Gila, maybe in the north part of Florida, as we're in Jacksonville or central Florida, that could cover some more of our regional work. Because that's really the next barrier is we have Zoom, which is great, but I got to tell you, nothing really beats in person for me. And I think that our members want it. And so if we're trying to cover Pensacola to Miami, we can't do that. Just two full-time people. So we're going to probably have to hire 
if we continue to grow in that way, someone probably in, in North Florida. Well, I suspect that's the plan is to continue growing. What are the aspirations for FPN? Where do you see it in, I don't know, three, five years? Pick your date. Well, I think it's always kind of hard to know where you're going to be in five years. So we'll do we'll do three years. So, you know, for FPN, like I said, like our main three strategies that we focus on are convene, partnering, you know, and advocating on behalf of the philanthropic sector here in our state of Florida. And I think we want to continue to deepen those relationships. I hope that we, you know, continue to work along legislators, alongside legislators to, to help inform policy and education and health. I hope that we continue to convene our funders so they can connect one another to walk and do great things for the state of Florida. I also, you know, would love to partner more with national organizations and foundations that care about Florida. And we're already doing some of that work. So I can see us growing in that space. And it's funny because we're a membership organization and people ask me all the time, you know, there's 4,000 foundations technically in the state of Florida, right? Some of them are small family foundations, but there are 4,000 here. And people will ask me, do you want all 4,000 members? I mean, that would be wonderful, wonderful. But for me, I would rather have 150 really engaged, dedicated members of FPN who want to be at the table and want to engage than have, you know, 4,000 members that don't come to anything. That The goal for me is that's not why we want membership to grow. It's because we want our members to work alongside each other more strategically so we can really make impacts and inroads in the state of Florida. So uh, we always want to grow, but I think it's more about deepening engagement for me. Well, and I think that's paid off in spades over the last, what, year and a half, uh, well, two and a half years with your rate of growth. And just having attended your summit a month ago, I tell you, it was just absolutely fantastic. Ashley, what you and Gila have done is just remarkable. Uh, it was so fun. It was so engaging. You could just, you could sense the energy in the room. People love connecting. And for you all to bring everybody, all of us from all over this great state of Florida together to have conversation and to work together is really remarkable. So my hat's off to you and what, what y'all are doing right now. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I did not pay you to say that, but thank you. I really no, appreciate that. No, you absolutely did not. I've been a fan of yours just watching what, what's happened with the organization. It's really, it, it needs to have a role in the state of Florida and it, and it really does. And uh, again, that summit was just indicative of that. Well, Ashley Dietz, president and CEO of Florida Philanthropic Network, a thriving, growing organization. If you are a funder in the state of Florida, please reach out to FPN and become a member or explore that opportunity. And if you're a consultant, you heard Ashley say, reach out to her. There may be some opportunities to, to help the organization as we go into 2023 and beyond. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. So we just heard from Ashley Dietz, the president and CEO of Florida, Florida Philanthropic Network. It's just really, she's done a remarkable job over the past two and a half years that she's been there. The growth rate's been phenomenal. And this is our recapping with Reed segment to find out what did Reed pick up from our conversation with Ashley. So Reed, what are your three observations? My first observation was Ashley's board's response to the consulting model. She said that they responded with relief because they understand the effort and the cost of people managing. Oh yeah, and there's always, whenever people want to go hire somebody, I think, oh boy, the last thing you really want to do, well, maybe that's an overstatement is to hire someone. The amount of work when you hire an employee is significant. So yeah, her, her board was, and I know her board members, they're pretty sharp. They would get that. That makes a lot of sense. What's your second observation or key point? Second key point is that consultants are great for tying down projects. Yeah, so that way you can plug and play, if you will. She didn't say that, but I'll say it. plug and play. I'm a consultant. I get plug and played all the time, I guess. Uh, so what is your third point, key point? So the third point is for the consultants out there. And this comes from Ashley's mouth. Do not underestimate the power of saying no. 
it's much better to be able to give 100% effort to a project as opposed to not. Absolutely. And we had an offline conversation with Ashley a little bit about some of the consultants and the good work that they do. And it just invariably leads to additional business, but they weren't spread so thin that they did a poor job. You've got to stay hyper-focused as a consultant and, and serve your clients. So there you go. Three key points. Recapping with Reed on the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. We will I-501CU next week.